There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, the divide. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Power Chord Hour podcast. That is right, we are now in our dirty 30s. And as always, I'm your host, Anthony Merchant. Not yet in my dirty 30s, but uh, I will be there soon enough. And I am welcoming you to another episode of the Power Chord Hour podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out. And, uh, you know, I am I am all here with you today. You have all of me, no guest for this one, because uh, I wanted to talk about something. I was thinking about this, I don't know, maybe like a week or so ago. And, uh, I mean, it was perfect because, you know, I wanted to come on here and do an episode this week. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about it. It is August already. And, uh, you know, thinking about, like, my favorite releases of the year, I'm like, well, geez, I mean, it's halfway over. You know, I mean, there's still time for more releases. And, obviously, there's a lot more stuff coming out. But I mean, I it's like time to take a step back now. And, you know, halfway through the year, I'm like, Jesus, like how many things have come out? I mean, how many really good things have come out too? you know, whether it be we have so many different things now, too. I mean, there's full lengths that have been released. There's been singles that have been released. There's been covers that have been released, acoustic versions, reimagined albums like the Menzingers right now. I know are working on a reimagined uh, version of Hello Exile and, uh, you know, just a bunch of different things like that where it's like. You know, there's just so many different things, um, you know, coming towards us. Live albums, too. That's a live album. So, you know, sifting through it all, I thought I wanted to do an episode just kind of talking about my favorite releases so far of 2020. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see what the second half brings. But uh, so far, I mean, it's been an interesting year for music, too, because there's, you know, on top of like what I just said, there's just so many different kinds of music coming out right now. But on top of that, it's like, you know, I mean, the first like three months of the year, you know, people were were just kind of releasing music like normal. And that's not to say, I mean, there's been albums released since that were, you know, obviously recorded pre-COVID. But, you know, it's just interesting because there's artists who this whole time have had plans to put music out. You know, it's like that they recorded this back in like, you know, October, November of last year. And uh, it's getting released now during quarantine. And it's like, you know, obviously it's a weird time for it to be released. But, you know, it's like, well, we're going to release it now anyways. Whereas uh, there's other artists who had like no plans or no intentions of uh, really releasing anything or doing anything. And now, you know, we've we've got all this different stuff. A, uh, a good example of that, actually, Heath Saraceno of uh, Midtown and Census Fail, former guest of the show. And if you listen to uh, last week's episode with Christian Lesperance of Jersey Interchange, uh, Heath is working on some songs with Jersey Interchange. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned in the interview, it's just very funny because when I when I talked to Heath back in uh, March, when I talked to him and Rob Hitt about uh, Save the World, Lose the Girl for its 20th anniversary, you know, Heath had kind of went from not really playing guitar much or really, I think, at all, he said, if I remember correctly, not touched the guitar since those Midtown reunion shows in 2014 and then started kind of doodling around with it again, you know, during during covid. And then from there, when I interviewed him, you know, he was doing uh, covers on Instagram with his buddy David, and they're still doing those. They're very, they're very cool. You should still go check them out. But uh, now he's also doing that stuff with Jersey Interchange. So it's like, you know, at the beginning of of the year, like Heath, I don't even think was really playing guitar and had no clue that he would be like, you know, doing these covers and then releasing stuff with Jersey Interchange. And you know, those are getting, those are getting. Uh, uh, some neat premieres on like Brooklyn Vegan and whatnot. We we premiered one on the radio show last week, and uh, 
you know, so so it's really just cool. You know what I mean? It's a very interesting year for music. You know, when you talk about releases, because obviously with uh, such a huge like cultural thing going on in the in the middle of everything, you just have a bunch of things that uh, we probably wouldn't have otherwise. And then we also have records that, you know, we we're going to get anyways. So, you know, just a ton, a ton of music to sift through. And, uh, you know, what, what I, I'll give you a little rundown. I thought I would tell you uh, what songs to check out. And uh, I will definitely do a little Spotify playlist for this episode. So uh, do not worry if you're listening and uh, you're like, oh, that sounds good. And you like forget to write write the band name down or you forget the name of it or whatever. Do not fear. I will have a, uh, a nice big old Spotify playlist to accompany this episode. And uh, I'll put all the songs that I mentioned on here in there. As long as they have them. I mean, most most things are on Spotify. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's insane. I, I never uh, it's not that I ever come on here and like I'm super pro Spotify anyways. I mean, I uh, I whatever. It's a it's a music platform. I mean, you know, it it's a way to get your music out there. But, uh, you know, just some of the stuff lately is just not looking good. It seems like the uh, I don't know, CEO or whatever, like someone of Spotify keeps kind of opening their mouth. And uh, I don't know, it does not does not seem like anything good comes out of it. So I don't know, maybe they need to stop that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's good for the show. I think it's a great thing to uh, kind of be like, hey, remember these songs I talked about? You know, it's like, here they are. Or, you know, maybe you're even listening to this podcast on Spotify. But, uh, you know, just, just the way that they, uh, you know, don't, don't pay artists very well and you know some of the comments be made and stuff it's like it's just i don't know they need to they need to change that shit but uh i don't know that's a that's another episode for another day and uh yeah i don't know it also sounds weird it's like i'm shit talking spotify while you might be listening to this on spotify and believe me it's not lost on me <laughs> you know it is uh it is not lost on me but anyway hey you know pay uh pay artists what they deserve and, you know, I mean, the, the one thing I will say that's good out of uh, out of it, and then we'll get into the uh, new music of the year. It does seem like it's cut music piracy down like a lot. And I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm totally like wrong about this. But like most people I know who used to pirate shit, like I just don't hear them talk about that anymore. It's just like they it's all streaming now. And, uh, you know, which I mean, once again, the other thing is like if they're not really paying art as much, it's like, well, you know, they're making much more than if people were pirating it. But at the same time, like I do feel like streaming, you know, the, the silver lining is streaming, even though it's not making artists, you know, fucking money hand over fist is I do feel like it's uh, slowed down. I'd say slow down more than stop piracy entirely. Like I'm, I'm sure LimeWire and all that still. And I don't know, maybe I'm even maybe I'm even like dating myself with that. I don't know if like Pirate Bay and LimeWire and stuff is like still what people use. Maybe it's like something totally different now. But, uh, you know, I. I, I do think that uh, streaming kind of cut that stuff down and kind of, uh, you know, once again, maybe didn't didn't make it extinct, obviously. It's never going to entirely go away. You know, if, if you can get a product for free, there's always going to be a uh, audience, obviously, who, uh, you know, is going to want that for free if it's available for free. But, uh, but yeah, I think streaming kind of stopped that a little bit. So, anyway, check this shit out on uh, the Spotify playlist. But more importantly, I mean, more than that, the stuff I talk about, you should go uh, – buy the records, you know, directly from the band's website or uh, Bandcamp as well. I mean, most of these releases are on Bandcamp. And like I always say, that's the uh, I think that's the best way to support artists and artists who I talk to. I'll basically say that as well and agree with that. So, you know, any, anything you can buy on Bandcamp, go buy it there. And uh, Bandcamp's still doing that thing where they're waiving fees. I believe it's like every first Friday 
of uh, the month. They waive fees for artists. So, you know, that's the other thing. Maybe uh, maybe check out check this out on Spotify. Check out the songs I tell you to listen to. And, uh, you know, if you like what you hear, go buy it off Bandcamp on one of those days where all the money goes to the artists. I'm sure they'd all appreciate it during uh, COVID, not being able to tour. And, uh, yeah. But so getting into it, I've talked about this one. If you go back um, in some of the early episodes of the podcast, because this was like the first record that I uh, heard that was new this year. But Church Girls, a band who I'd never heard from before. Um, I believe this is their first full length, but they do have some other uh, like EPs and stuff out. This is the first I'd heard of them. But their uh, their new album, The Haunt, which came out back in January, and uh, you know, like I said, this is kind of like the first new thing that I heard in 2020, and which is always nice in the beginning of the year too, because there's not a lot of new music coming out in like January and February. March is kind of when I feel like it starts, but uh, you know, to have something like this come out that early and to be as good as it is too, like the thing I always say is there's there's really some heavy title fight vibes in there, and it's not to say that the band sounds straight up like title fight. But there's like there's just different things. I think a lot of it might be like the guitar tones and some of the effects on it and stuff. But I kind of get like more of a kind of like an more indie rock style title fight. But title fight is always something that jumps out in my head. Like ever since first hearing them, it's uh, you know, and, and I don't know. Like I said, it's not a direct comparison where they straight up sound like it. Like the haunt doesn't sound like shed part two or anything like that. But, uh, you know, some of the more spaced out guitar parts, some of the effects, um, you know, just some of that stuff. Like if you're a fan of that, I think you would really like Church Girls. I mean, it's just it's really, really good. It's kind of that that indie. There's a little I mean, there's a little bit of pop punk, but I wouldn't I wouldn't call it pop punk like, you know, like traditionally, like not like, you know, they don't sound like straight up Blink-182 or something. But there's a couple like different influences in there that just I think all mesh together kind of has a really unique sound. I, I really like the whole kind of ambiance of it too. There really is kind of one on the record that's uh it's kind of gloomy in a way, I would say, but in a good way. I mean, it, it's not a it's not a bad thing at all. Um it's it's a good it's a good gloominess or sadness that uh kind of kind of is like the ambiance or the vibe that you get on the haunt but i mean i can't say enough good things about it first record of the year that i uh, really listened to and it stuck with me i mean i still like it just as much as when it came out and uh, i know we played some stuff or we played at least a song off of it on like our first january well only one january rundown but our first like rundown episode and uh, yeah, so if you've not if you've not checked this out yet, this one under your radar, or you missed it for whatever reason, I would say the three songs to check out could have been "The Haunt" and uh, "Nothing." Those are probably my three favorite, and uh, just have a really good energy to them. There's like an urgency to those songs, as well as the drums too. I got to give a shout out to their drummer. There's just some really cool, like really rhythmic things he does in there. That uh, you know, just not just not like a generic like four four rock beat. Like does some really cool stuff rhythmically in there, and uh, I don't know. I'm impressed. I really can't say enough good things. Um, check them out. I love that record, Church Girls, The Haunt, and uh, I still think that's going to go down as one of my favorites of 2020. And uh, speaking of one of my favorites, this is this is in my top three favorite of the year. I've talked a bunch about it. I had uh, I had Jason on the show. But uh, I'm talking about Suicide Machines Revolution Spring. That one came out back in March on Fat Records. And uh, first one to come out on Fat. And it's kind of surprising it took this long for them to be on there. I mean, to me, like, you listen to Suicide Machines and, like, you almost, like, like I thought about that when it came out on Fat. I'm, I started thinking about it. I'm like, how is this the first thing? Like, you start, you start looking back at their release and you're like, 
all these records, like their whole career, they could have been on fat records and they always kind of seemed like a fat man. And I also think they toured with a lot of them. And uh, I think I've always, always been pretty close knit to them. But uh, yeah, I mean, what would that be like 30 years into their career and uh, finally working with fat, but it came out what, what we got was amazing. I mean, this record, I'm putting it up there with their first two. I mean, I love, I love all their albums. I can pick, they're one of those bands though, where it's like first two records, love them front to back. And then after that, it's like, I can kind of pick and choose songs. And I really like the self-titled record. I, I got to say, I know it's a polarizing one. I know uh, Jason himself, I don't even think is a very big fan of it. But, uh, you know, I mean, I like that record. I know it's different. But uh, some of the later ones, it's like, I'm kind of like, I like them, but I'm kind of more like, you know, if I put it on, it's like, all right, I might listen to this song, this song, then I'll skip that one, then I'll listen to this one, then I'll skip the next one. And uh, it's kind of like that. Now, with Revolution Spring, not at all. I mean, this thing front to back. And, I mean, the quality of it. Like like I said, I mean, the first their first two records are ska punk classics. I mean, basically, I would say if, Opera, if uh, Operation Ivy didn't exist, I would probably say The Suicide Machine is like my all-time favorite ska punk band. I mean, I guess you really got to give that to uh, Op Ivy, in my opinion. But, I mean, as far as ska punk goes, Suicide Machines have always been some of the best to do it. And uh, first two records, man, I think are like, you know, really kind of like – Band, bands who do that even to this day, it's like that's that's your kind of uh, that that's the that's the how to, you know, that's your guide to kind of how to how to write like the perfect ska punk songs and ska punk record. And, uh, you know, kind of kind of also like with the influences, you know, not make it all straight up, just sound like one thing. You know, I mean, there there is some reggae in there and just some straight up, you know, just reggae songs. There's a little dub in there. There are just straight up fast punk songs. There's hardcore songs in there. And uh, they kind of did that again, I feel like, on Revolution Spring. Because there are a few records where, like, what I think they did best early on was exactly what I'm talking about. There's a variety in there. You know what I mean? Like, you hear the different the different influences and the different spectrums because it's like, Ska is such a is such a wide like thing. You know what I mean? Like there's the suicide machines are ska and so are, you know, I mean there's elements of ska in like uh oh I don't even, actually not even elements of ska. I would say they're a ska band, but like squirrel nut zippers or something like that, you know, where it's like or like the swing bands, you know, who have the horns and you know play things on the upbeat and whatnot. Like there's different spectrums of it where it's like like there's all, you know, they all kind of are influenced by the same, you know, like older bands and stuff, but obviously the outcomes differently. But that's what I like about Suicide Machines is including on the early records, they kind of showed all those different, you know, uh, spectrums of, of ska and ska punk and whatnot in it. And with some of the later ones they would do, it would be more like, you know, on the side of like straight up hardcore punk or, you know, you have the self-titled one, which is more, you know, kind of like a pop rock record, you know, like totally left field for them. And uh, Revolution Spring kind of sees them back at that where it's like they're just they're they're good at doing ska punk. They're good at, at you know, kind of exploring different avenues of it. And uh, one of their best records, one of my favorite records of the year, but I mean, one of their best records. I listen to it constantly. And uh, I would say the three songs to go check out on that one, Trapped in a Bomb, which uh, one of my favorite one of my favorite Suicide Machine songs, period. It kind of has a Green Day vibe, in my opinion. Which uh, there's a few songs actually on this record. I don't. I never really got to ask Jason about it, but uh, I kind of got like old school Green Day out of it, like like influence out of it. Kind of like, and I'm talking like Lookout Records and like Dookie era Green Day. You know, I mean, it, it, it's not like they sound. You know, I, I don't think Jason was sitting around listening to like you know Revolution Radio. 
um, you know, like recording this, but I mean like really old, old Green Day. I could hear I could hear on this record. Same like some bouncing souls. There's a couple songs or there is one song, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but I'm like and it sounds like a Suicide Machine song. It doesn't sound like they're ripping off the Bouncing Souls, but it does sound like a song I could hear like the Bouncing Souls cover and I think would just fit perfectly. But, uh, yeah, on that record, go you got to check out the whole thing, but check out Trapped in a Bomb, Bully in Blue, which, I mean, and they, and they put this out way earlier in the year, but, I mean, I feel like that song's uh, extremely fitting for 2020 and probably become even more relevant since the record came out in March. And uh, also Detroit is the new Miami. And that's the other thing with them too is I feel like they're a band, you know, Jason Jason gets political on there. He speaks his mind. And what I always like about him is he he really truly means what he's singing and what he's writing about. Like not like a very we're going to get pseudo political or like vaguely political cuz I don't care if a band does, but like my my thing is this, it's like if you're going to do it like go all in. Like sometimes people do it and I'm cynical about it because I'm like, well, I feel like you're kind of you're like dipping your toe in something that you don't know much about because it's like, you know, it will get you attention or, you know, like something like that. I, you know, I'm cynical in those ways. But like with Jason, what I love about it, you listen to Suicide Machines and you're like, oh, no, like he's he's like, I mean, one of the songs on the record, you know, addresses like and, and Suicide Machines are obviously a, a Detroit band. And uh, he, he's talking about, you know, the whole Flint water crisis. And, you know, I mean, really, I, I don't think I've ever heard another band sing about that. I mean, obviously, it's very close to home as well. But it's like he means it. You know what I mean? It's not a thing of like, oh, you know, we could we could sing about this current event. Thing. It's like like he means the anger in his voice. And, you know, he means everything he's singing. And uh, I, I think that's why this record is just so damn good. It took them. I mean, this is the first new record of theirs in like 11 years. But to me, it was worth it. I mean, if 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 that's if this is what we get for waiting eleven years, if we gotta wait another eleven years for another one, I will uh, I will wait because I'm totally cool with that. I I think we need another Suicide Machines record that sounded like this one. And uh, you know, if you are a fan of them, uh, go check out that interview with him back in uh, March. It was one of our earlier episodes, probably like episode I think like sixteen maybe. But uh, yeah, I I love talking to him, and it was a blast, and it was a treat too. I mean, it it was like. Cause I love that record and I was listening to it a ton and I still am, but it was so fun. Like as it came out and I'm like digging into it and then I got to interview him and uh, he's such a nice dude and uh, they're one of the best live bands too. If you've never seen them live, look up the suicide machines. He has so much energy. Like you want to talk about a good front man, including someone who utilizes just being a singer. Like he doesn't have a guitar when he's playing and so he doesn't some of his other bands, but in the suicide machines, just him singing and it's like he takes advantage of that. He's running around like a madman. He's jumping into the crowd, you know, you know, sharing the mic with the with the audience, like all that kind of stuff. Someone who really takes advantage of that. And I always like that because sometimes it's awkward if, uh, you know, if, if an artist is up there just singing, like more like in a punk band, obviously not if you're like in a like slow kind of more like slow tempo band or doing something, you know, slower like that. But like in, in like faster punk bands, if you're up there with just the mic and you're not moving around, I feel like that looks more weird. Like you got to be wild. Like you gotta get crazy, and uh, that's exactly what Jason does. Uh, just such a great live band. Does it doesn't matter who else is in the band, but uh, actually it, it's funny. I even think of this. But segueing into the next one, speaking of Suicide Machines, while uh, he has not been in the band for quite a while, though he did do a reunion tour with them five years ago. 
But uh, the OG on the first two Suicide Machines records, Derek Grant, I mean, one of the best punk drummers out there. And uh, while he was not on that new Suicide Machines, he was on the new Alkaline Trio EP, which came out back in March as well. And uh, I loved it. It was, it really was kind of, it was like half a surprise release. Like people knew it was coming out, but then it it got uh, it got pushed forward because uh, it was done before COVID. But then the whole Bad Religion Alkaline Trio co-headliner which uh, was like my most anticipated tour of the year. Like that was going to be a sick tour, and hopefully that gets rescheduled, uh, you know, whenever shows come back, like next year. But uh, they they did that. You know, this was like early on in, in COVID. I'd say like maybe two or three weeks in, they uh, released the EP, and uh, a whole lot earlier than people thought it was going to come out. And uh, I was very happy with it. I, I loved it. It's, uh, you know, we don't, we don't get a ton now. You know, uh, with Matt being in Blink-182, that takes up a lot of his time. We don't get tons of Alkaline Trio. Um, you know, it had, uh, it had been super long. I mean, as this thing, Cursed came out in uh, 2018. But, I mean, before that, though, we had waited five years. My Shame is True came out in uh, 2013. So we were waiting a while in between that. But this EP was really, uh, really good. I mean, including if it's a taste of something to come, not that they've teased a full length. I know they did this for that tour. So, you know, it was kind of a one-off thing. It's it's not, you know, there's no hints at it. There's been no talks about it. But uh, the direction that they did take on the three songs, I mean, I, I think on a new record would uh, sound really, really good. I, I think they took advantage of that too. You know, for only being a three-song EP, there's really some range here. There, uh, you know, there's some neat stuff on there. Uh, some of it just sounds straight up like Alkaline Trio. Others of it sounds a little experimental. Nothing super left field for them, but still different enough where, you know, they kind of took a chance, and I think it uh, worked out. And uh, just great to hear the three of them. You know, I, uh, I, I, I've i said it a, quite a few times. You know, Blink-182 is one of my all-time favorite bands for sure. But, uh, you know, the, the last couple records with Matt, while, you know, I, I don't think they sound – I've never seen them live – but the videos I've seen, I don't think they sound bad live with him. I don't think he does a bad job on Tom songs. But, uh, you know, the new stuff, I'm, I just really cannot get into it. I like a couple songs off California. And uh, outside of that, I just don't really like what is, uh, you know, what what they've done, which is funny. I love Alkaline True and I love Blink-182. But when you put them together, it just it does not work. It does not work, in my opinion. Some people would disagree. Um, I think other people would also agree, though. I, I don't. I also don't think that I'm like having a hot take here, um, saying that I'm not a big fan of of post Tom Blink One Eighty Two. But uh, you know what I am saying, though, is even though I'm not a fan of that, I'm happy that we're still getting Alkaline Trio, even if it is uh, you know not another full length right now. What they are putting out is really good, and so is this thing Cursed. I mean, that thing was a solid album, and uh, that you know that that was in the middle of it all. That was two years after Blink One Eighty Two's California. And uh, I don't know, I guess timeline-wise, maybe they were working on 9 at that point. I, uh, I'm not entirely sure. But, uh, you know, it's just good to see when he goes back and does that. I, I feel like in Blink-182, his songwriting is held back. Um, Matt Skiba is obviously, I mean, an amazing songwriter. Like, he doesn't like his lyrics. And just some of the stuff in Alkaline Trio, I'm just like, holy shit. Like, that line is just so good. You know, he's just very, very clever. And, uh, you know, he uh, he got some good stuff in here. There, there's one there's one Matt song and then two Danny songs. And uh, Dan, though, does steal it. I, I would say the best track on the EP. There's only three of them. So, I mean, go check out the whole goddamn thing. But uh, Smokestack take, just steals it. I mean, 
it is it is a really good Danny song. I I like his acoustic songs, except <laughs> except for "Enjoy Your Day," and uh, I, I'll keep that for another episode because I could probably do a whole episode on it. But uh, that song fucks up the flow of "Goddamn It." Um, entirely, and that's probably why I dislike the song. If I heard it in another context, maybe if it was placed in another place um, on the record, I may like it more. But uh, I do not, I do not like that song at all. But besides that one, any time that it's like a stripped back song with Danny, it's like I, I think those are like the best songs. Like this addiction uh, has like one of my favorite Alkaline Trio closers on it with Fine. Um, you know, that one, that one has, which I guess there is some electric guitars in it, but it's, it is, it is stripped back. I would still say for alkaline trio and, uh, you know, and actually it's funny. I say that because there is a deluxe edition of this addiction that I got when it came out and there's an acoustic version of fine on there, which uh, doesn't sound all that different. Just doesn't have drums and just really doesn't have that lead guitar over it, but it doesn't sound that terribly different. But yeah, like acoustic Danny songs, I'm normally a fool for, and Smokestack's one of his best ones. I love it, and that, like, I feel like his songwriting too is just really, really good on here. Like, I, I can't wait for another Alkaline Trio release, whenever that is. Who knows when that's going to be? But uh, at least we have this EP to hold us over. I, I really, really do enjoy it. And uh, Archer's a loaf. While they did not release a, a new album this year, and uh, I don't know if they're gonna. I mean, I feel like it's, it's like easing up to that it it wasn't originally but now it's like i feel like slowly getting there but uh they have put two seven inches out this year and have put out four different songs and uh i mean we're talking about a band here who hasn't released anything since like i believe the year 2000 was last time they they uh recorded music so it's been about two decades and uh, they did not disappoint at all um i mean the very first song raleigh days which they released earlier this year in like january or february was just amazing it has a classic it just has that classic like like could have been on icky metal it really could have and like not it, it wasn't like really too like you know not like weird experimental or like going in some odd direction or anything like they came back with just straight up just a classic Arches of Loaf song. And you never know with a band, you know what I mean? Including one who has not released anything in, a, you know, 20 years. It's like the outcome may not be good. You know, it's not always getting back in the studio together after, uh, you know, two decades. It's not always magic. Sometimes it is. You hope, you obviously always hope it is, but it's not always magic. Where thankfully with uh, Arches of Loaf, no, they got in there and they did not lose a beat, not at all. I mean, this is this is perfect. They like picked up right where they left off, and uh, I love it. They have, I mean, they have two seven inches out there, or like I guess you could say like digital EPs, if you will. But uh, you should go check them both out. But I mean, the four songs that are out, and I'll uh, I'll have these on the playlist. There's only four of them, so I'll throw them all on there because they're all so good too. But Raleigh Days, that's the first one they put out. I love it, and uh, Cruel Reminder talking over talk and uh, their cover of the Rolling Stones Street Fighting Man all of those are solid the uh, the Raleigh Days and the Street Fighting Man did get I believe a, a record store day release but to be honest I don't know what record store day was like this year I don't know if those got released I guess they might have gotten released online to be I totally forgot about that too I used to be I just don't collect vinyl like I used to so I didn't pay as much attention to record store day this year and then obviously with everything going on um, part of me assumed that they didn't do it, but then I'm thinking about it more. And I'm like, no, they may have. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, if, if they did, 
I believe I believe that was getting released for record store day. So maybe it's out there as a record store day release, maybe not. But uh, yeah, I mean, Arch is a Loaf is a band that, well, I, I only discovered them back in 2014. But uh, I mean, I, Web and Front is just, I'm, I'm far from the first person to say that's like the greatest indie rock love song of all time. But like, I literally still remember the first time hearing that song six years ago. Like, I remember the day. I, I remember listening to it like on a loop afterwards, like and then just listening to all the other stuff too, like that day and being like, how have I never like, why is this the first time listening to them? And a shout out to Andy Jackson of a Hot Rod Circuit. I had actually started listening to them because in old interviews, he uh, was talking about how they were like the biggest influence on Hot Rod Circuit. Like he made it a point and not, not in one interview, like multiple interviews. He made a point to talk about like, yeah, this band is like the greatest band of all time and is the reason we're a band. And you can hear it in the early, including like early Hot Rod Circuit, like the first two albums, like like basically anything pre-Sorry About Tomorrow is uh, you definitely, they're like a more pop punk version of Arch is a Loaf. I mean, you hear it all over there as well as Super Chunk too. But, uh, you know, I, I'm so thankful that uh, he championed them so much because, you know, I, I discovered them. And uh, an amazing, amazing band. One of the best ones out there. I mean, I, I've said it too before. It's like I, I feel like they deserve the credit that a lot of like indie rock bands of the '90s get that they don't. Like, like Pavement is one. Like to be honest, I'm not a fan of Pavement, and I think part of it is I heard Pavement after I heard Archers of Loaf, and I'm just like, what's everyone talking? Like, have you have none of you ever heard Archers of Loaf before? Like that that like I'm sorry, that was my reaction when I first heard um, Pavement. I'm just like. People who like this must have just never heard <laughs> heard uh, Archers of Loaf before. I've had that reaction for a few bands where, like, you listen to it, just like, oh, like people have heard that, like, like someone went into the into a record store and instead of picking up Icky Metal that day, they picked up whatever pop, whatever the biggest like pavement record is. Like, I don't know what it would be, but like they picked that up instead of Icky Metal, and it's that kind of thing. But I'm like. You know, I just can't believe Arches of the Loaf don't have like that level of, uh, you know, like, like significance or the Pixies, too. I mean, the Pixies are another one where I'm like, and I know they kind of bleed in the 80s as well. But I'm like, you know, if we're talking like indie rock and I mean, just those sound dynamics of like the soft, the soft verse, loud chorus and just playing with dynamics like that. Um, I, I mean, Arches of the Loaf are right up there with all those bands. And uh, I, w- I wish got the notoriety that uh, all those bands that I mentioned did because I don't know, in my opinion, much talented them than them, though I'm not trying to talk shit on I guess I am. I'm I'm lying to you. I'm kind of talking a little uh talking a little indie rock shit here on the Power Court Hour podcast. But uh that is that is uh I don't know. I'm trying to start a beef. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to start a beef with uh with Frank Black. That's what I'm trying to do right now. I think that's the guy's name. From the Pixies, that band <laughs> that uh, that Arches of Loaf should be as big as. But whatever, I'm going down a road that we will no longer go down. And uh, another one you got to go check out. This one came out back in May, and uh, it is Murder for Girls, Done in the Dark. I love this album. It is, uh, I, and I will say too. I mean, full disclosure, I'm I'm buddies with that band, but uh, you, you can remove that out of it. It's a good record, and uh, I would definitely be a fan of, of the album as well as the band just in general if I uh, didn't know them. But it is nice to know that they are just such good people in there. And I, I like what they do. They're very, like, I know their influences, like, be, you know, I, including a uh, shout-out Tammy. I mean, uh, 
the the coolest person I know in Pittsburgh. We'll give a little shout out to Tammy there, raddest person in all Pittsburgh. And uh, I know her influences because we we both like the same shit. But uh, you know what I like about the band is I know what the influences are, and they use them, but they do something very unique. Like they don't sound like like one like one um, our our mutual actually how we even became friends we we uh, met each other at Tommy Stinson house show in Pittsburgh but like I know the replacements are like one of her favorite bands if not her favorite band and uh, you know I mean I know that influence is in there but they don't sound like straight up the replacements or anything like that you know they they don't sound like straight up like any of their influences they never they never go down one road too far where like they're just ripping off a band and uh, I think extremely unique and I also. Uh, the bass lines, the bass lines on this too are really, are always, not even just on this, on all their releases. They have two other EPs besides uh, this new full length that you got to go check out as well. And they're definitely on Bandcamp. So go grab, go grab all these on Bandcamp from them. They're, they're, uh, they are good people from up in Pittsburgh. And uh, this one's very cool. Speaking of uh, the replacements, this was produced by Tommy Stinson. I know this was huge for Tammy and uh, the rest of them. I, I know the rest of them are Matt's fans, but none of them. Are, uh, are are as big of replacements fans is Tammy and uh, I I know that was huge for her um, recording with him it, it was very rad I remember what she told me and it was still kind of I, I think they were keeping a secret at the time but uh, it was very very cool I, I was so happy and proud for her when she like told me oh yeah like we get to record and uh, you know be produced by Tommy and he did it he did a gram uh, not a gram date a damn great job I'm getting tongue tied here he did a damn great job on the uh, production. On this, he he just he did what I like what a producer does, where he made him sound he he made it sound good, you know it's pleasing to listen to, but he didn't take the he didn't really take the edge away from them. You know what I mean? Like what they had on their earlier releases, like he didn't take that away. He just made better what they already did well, and he also just made it sonically sound better. But like you know he didn't go in there and change the band you know like entirely and make them something that they're not or anything like that you know and uh, I always like that when a, when a producer does that because a producer can definitely go in and uh, overstep their boundaries but uh, Tommy didn't do that Tommy Tommy had a nice touch to everything but it is still very much a murder for girls release which I like because I love all the releases and uh, I'm still bummed actually I have while, while they're buddies I've never gotten to see them live. They opened up for Bash and Pop, Tommy Stinson's band. Last time he played Pittsburgh, like three years ago, and uh, it was funny. It was the same. It was. Uh, it wasn't even the weekend at that point. The show was like a Tuesday, but uh, that was in Pittsburgh at uh, the Fun House at uh, Mr. Small's. There, great, great venue. Both both rooms, uh, Mr. Small's itself as well as uh, the Fun House at Mr. Small's. Which I also have to say, I think I brought this up a, a few episodes back. But uh, the Funhouse at Mr. Small's, I saw HR from Bad Brains there um, actually a few months after this Bash and Pop show that I'm talking about. And I have to say, and this is a small venue. This this venue holds like 300 people, if that. And uh, I got to say, I've never been to a concert that smelled stronger than weed. And yes, I know we're in a small room, but there was power in numbers. Like it smelled so strong weed, not because it was like one person smoking a lot of weed in a small room. It's because half the audience was smoking weed. And uh, that that is, I don't know, I, I always think of that when I think of that show. I mean, HR was great. Don't get me wrong. Great show. Living legend there. But uh, I'll never forget. I've, I don't think I've ever been to a show that smelled more like weed. That and Bob Dylan. But, uh, but see, that's the thing with, with you got to give HR. Bob Dylan 
was in an arena and it only smelled like it when you were in the parts where basically there weren't security guards or they weren't looking because uh, the security guards there, not only were they dickheads, but uh, they were also stupid. And I, I'll comfortably say that. And uh, and uh, we're getting into, I, I won't shit talk that anymore. But uh, yeah, I had a bad experience with the security there. They were assholes, not for smoking weed though. But uh, they, the, the people in the back though, I, I'm surprised weren't getting caught. There, there were some sections in there where I'm like, damn, this... Uh, like, like for the shit that they're yelling at people for, I can't believe no one in here is getting in trouble. But anyway, <laughs> getting getting back to a uh, to murder for girls, I was bummed. It was the uh, that weekend was Riot Fest 2017, so I was in Chicago, and uh, I drove from Chicago to Pittsburgh, and I forgot about that damn literally one hour time change, and I was about an hour late, and it just missed their set, just off that. I mean, had I left, had I left an hour earlier. I'd have been fine. I I didn't know it. I was uh, I was dicking around with my buddy, and uh, yeah. So I missed them the one time, and now we have quarantine. But hopefully, once it's over, I get to go see Murder for Girls live because I uh, from all the videos I've seen, they uh, they always sound great, and uh, their records are really really good. And they're probably new to you. I mean, I do play them on the radio show quite a bit, and I try to uh, you know get the word out there on them. But they are a, a smaller band from Pittsburgh, a, a local band from there. So if you want to go support them, like I said, they're on Bandcamp. And if you haven't heard them yet, their whole discography is there. But uh, start out with their new record, Done in the Dark, one of my favorites of this year. And uh, go check out their songs, Exposure and Broken. And uh, shout out to Tammy and Tommy. Shout out to Tommy Stinson for uh, doing a great job producing this. And uh, it just made me happy. Like, like I, I know that it made her stoked to work with him. So I was like, oh, that's rad. Like, like to know to know what it meant to her. You know what I mean? Very, uh, very cool. I know I would lose my shit if uh, if I was working with Tommy Stinson. I, I don't think I could keep my cool with that at uh, at all. But uh, Scott Sellers of Rufio, we're getting into some pop punk now. Last month in July, put out. He's been putting out a bunch of different things this year. But uh, this this I feel like is a real highlight. It is called Influence, and it is a uh, it is a album of basically his influences. And guess what? It is all '90s skate punk. I absolutely love it. I mean, if you're a fan of Rufio, you're gonna like this. It's it just sounds like Rufio covering, you know, all the pop punk bands that came before them. Basically, it sounds amazing. I mean, it really does. Scott did Scott did a really good job on all of these. And uh, he picked some songs, too, that were not easy that uh, really showcase his guitar playing and everything. And uh, I, he, he records everything on it. He, does, he self-produces it, records it, plays everything. The only thing he doesn't play is the uh, drum machine, which I assume he programs. So, I mean, this is all, this is all just coming from Scott. And uh, he, he did an amazing job. I mean, production sounds great. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming this is all done in a home studio as well. The way he's been releasing uh, not just this, but uh, acoustic songs. He's been doing originals. This is all on his Bandcamp, too. It's another great one to go check out, scottsellers.bandcamp.com. But, uh, but yeah, and actually maybe, too, I'll uh, do a little master list when I'm done with this podcast. I'll go look up, like, all the uh, artists that I'm telling you about. And if their stuff is uh, on Bandcamp, I will put the links in the uh, show notes for this week. So, uh, you know, if, if you like anything, you can just jump on down there and go grab it. And uh, this one in particular, I actually believe, is Pay What You Want, which uh, is cool. But, yeah, I mean, all just – it's funny, too, because when you listen to it, it's like you see where Rufio, like, got all their influences. Like, absolutely. Like, 
you're, you're listening and you're like, oh yeah, like including the first uh, the first song on the on the album that opens it up, and uh, one that I would highly recommend. And I'll throw on our playlist, but the uh, the exhumation of Virginia Madison is just like I mean, because Strung Out is is one of those punk bands who can actually play their instruments, and uh, I, I talked about that with Joey Cobra a couple episodes ago. We were talking about his influences and. You know, kind of kind of that funny thing where, like, so many punk bands, the joke is they really can't play their instruments. And then it's like you have these certain bands like Lagwagon or Strung Out or later on Rufio where, like, oh, no, like, those guys, like, also, like, met- and Propaganda is another one, too, where it's like those guys are also, like, metalheads and actually know how to play their their uh, their instruments. You know what I mean? Like they actually know what they're doing. Even even their uh, I can't remember her name, but the uh, and I, I say new guitarist of Propagandi though. She's been in the band now for I think like seven or eight years. But like I think she was like a guitar teacher before being in the band, and like you know knows music theory and like you know is like a technical player. You know what I mean? Not not like just grabbing someone. They're not a band who could just go grab someone off street. It's like yeah, like you know, over the weekend, listen to our albums and play along to them. And you'll, you'll figure it out. Like the four chords that we keep playing in different variations. It's like, it's not like that at all. Like you actually need someone who knows their scales and knows a little bit of theory and stuff. And, uh, yeah. So, so really cool. No propaganda on this, but that's strung out. That's strung out cover. One of the best ones. And you listen to that and you're like, Oh yeah, like you totally see, you know, where Rufio was coming from and everything. But it, it is, it's very cool. It's a great highlight of, uh, of 90s pop punk, skate punk, and uh, kind of inadvertently too, just because, you know, the band's given the labels they're on. It's also kind of a, a love letter, I would say, to Fat Records and Epitaph, because I'd say just about every band on here is on one of those labels. If they, if they weren't an Epitaph band, they were a fat band, or they were both. But uh, yeah, a really great one. So go check that out. The, uh, the exhumation of Virginia Madison, and uh, also a New Hope, the Blink One Eighty Two cover. Really, really good. I like I like the choice too. I mean, like, just because it's so like that's a Blink One Eighty Two song that even I forget about sometimes. Dude Ranch is my favorite Blink One Eighty Two record, but like even I kind of forget a New Hope as a standalone song. And uh, you know, I like that he kind of went that way and didn't just cover like Damn It. Or, uh, you know, no, something something that you would guess someone normally or even like M&Ms or Carousel or something like that. Like, I'm happy you went with something where you're like, oh, like that's a deep cut. Like, I would I would definitely say A New Hope is a, a Blink-22 deep cut. And he does it. He does it justice. It sounds amazing. I mean, it sounds like Rufio doing Blink-182. And uh, if that is your thing, go check it out. It is on Scott Sellers' Bandcamp. And, uh, yeah, go check out everything else he's been putting out this year and uh, late last year, too. He's been on a roll now for about, like, I don't know. Last like eight or nine months, it, it it's been insane the output of music that he that he's been putting out to the point where I did an interview with Joey Co- with Joey Cobra a few weeks ago where we were talking about Joey Cobra's music, yet went into a whole thing about how much music Scott Sellers has been putting out. That's how much music Scott Sellers puts out that other people's interviews become interviews about Scott Sellers. So uh, I would say definitely worth checking out. And uh, speaking of good pop punk music, I'm I I gotta tell you, I mean I I did not think I'll just be completely honest, did not think I was gonna like this record. I will I will say that right off the bat, they they proved me wrong, and I'm so happy they did because no matter what, they uh they're I would still put them as one of the best pop punk bands out there, 
And uh, a lot of their albums are some of my favorite pop punk records of all time. Not the last few, but quite a few of them. But it is Newfound Glory with Forever and Ever Times Infinity. This one came out back in June. And uh, it, it kept getting pushed back. I, I don't. I kind of felt bad for them. Um, I think it was supposed. To, it, it was supposed to be released in like I think March or April. I know it got leaked early, and uh, then you know COVID happened. Then it was like they didn't know what was going on if things were open or not. So it got pushed back to a summer release. And uh, you know, but I gotta say it was well worth the wait. And uh, you know, like, like I was saying, did, I'll be completely honest. I did not expect to like it. I love Newfound Glory. But the last couple records just have not been their best. Resurrection has a couple good songs on it, but makes me sick. I could not get behind. And uh, even Resurrection, the uh, songs that I like, my biggest gripe is still that whole one guitar thing. Like, I totally get it. You didn't, you know, once Steve was out of the band, I'm not even saying you had to add a another member as like a permanent member or anything like that. But it's like Chad could just record, like literally just record another guitar track in the studio. Like I listen and look at it's it's a small gripe. I get it. But like on a song like Ready and Willing, which is a great song off Resurrection, but you can hear the empty spots where there should be chugging guitar. Like like it just didn't work. Like what they would do the producer of that record and actually I think they might have self-produced the album too, which may have been one of the other issues. Um you know, self-producing can be a good, you know, I was actually just listening to it. Uh, Jim Atkins of Jimmy Eat World just started doing a, a cool podcast, and he just put out his first episode with uh, Mark Hoppus. And I really like it because both of them do studio stuff and do, like, production. Mark Mark famously, uh, you know, I, he doesn't so much now. I think he does some more, like, songwriting collaborations. But really, there was a time there from, like, 2007 to like 2012 or so I'd say like four or five years where Mark was producing tons and tons of records in the scene and actually one of them funny enough was a newfound glory is not without a fight which I thought he did a great job on that's a great newfound glory record but uh anyways Jim and Mark were talking about it how just because you are a musician or a good musician or just a musician in a successful band does not automatically mean that you're going to be a good engineer or producer. And I like that they talked about this because I've talked about this a few times on here, like with uh, with Michael Beinhorn, who is a uh, who was a famous producer, did a bunch of like all the big '90s rock records, as well as uh, Steve Kravick, who uh, once again, funny enough, I mean, talking about connecting the dots everywhere, which is also a newfound glory song. <laughs> but uh, you know, Steve Kravick, who worked with Blink One Eighty Two. And, uh, you know, talking to Steve about it and Michael and a couple other people over the years, it's like, I'm totally like, I love it too. Don't get me wrong. I have tons of people on here. You hear me interview who are doing home recordings, including now during quarantine, recording albums off iPads. I mean, just all these different things. I think it's awesome that you can do that now. I think it's a great thing. I use that stuff personally for demoing things at home. But what I will say is I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And the other thing, too, is if you, you know, including budget-wise, like if you just don't have a budget and that's the way to get out a record, it's great that you can do that. But what I will say, including for bands who probably could have a producer who decide to self-produce it, my thing is, like, if it's not a money issue, if it's not a thing where it's like, look, we just don't have the funds for producer, I just don't think self-producing is uh, always the best bet. You know what I mean? Like, it, it is if you know what you're doing, but being a producer is more than just hitting record. You know what I mean? Like it, it really is. There's also a psychological aspect where you have to get four people on the same page. You also have to realize you have to figure out 
how to get them, not manipulate them, but you have to figure out how to get them to work their best way, how to get the best out of them. And, you know, that's something like that's something a producer does, which I think is also like when you talk about self-producing, it's probably hard for members to be like, there's certain things that a producer does where members of a band, they self-produce and start getting that critical with one another might break up. Like, you know, it's probably easier to say fuck you to your bandmate when he tells you like, you know, that baseline is like, you know, you should, you should add something to it or, you know, your singing's flat or, you know, this drum beat, you know, slow it, slow the tempo down or like something like that. Like, you know, a, a producer kind of steps in and does, does things with that, that, uh, you know, you just doing it with the band and just your the band members kind of bickering between one another, which once again, it isn't always this, this way. Self-producing doesn't always happen that way, but I think a lot of times it's not good and it can be disastrous. And, uh, I don't know. I think that might've been part of resurrection. I could totally be wrong, but if I remember correctly, they did self-produce that. And I just think if they had someone in there, it's kind of like, look at, you don't need to add a fifth member. Like you don't need to replace Steve, but it's like, just play another guitar in studio. Like literally just play a rhythm guitar. Like I don't get it. And then it's like, they added it on this one on, on forever and ever. And like, there it is again. There is that classic newfound glory sound that we all know and love. Like the, like musically just killed it on this. Like I, I love it. Like they're the energy on this record puts bands half their age to shame. Like, I mean a band this far in now, 20 something years as a band, like, they're they're still really like like that's what I love about this record because like I said did not expect to like it so like when it when I listen to it I'm like wow like for one it's a great summertime record like the one good thing about it getting pushed back to uh, to June was that it's a really good sunny day album so I don't think it came out at a bad time at all I think that was kind of a uh, like perfect time for it to come out it it really on my trip down south like driving down there. This was on constantly. I listen to this album a bunch. It's just perfect for a sunny day with the windows down and just listening to it, including now. Like if you're stuck inside with everything, you're quarantined or whatever, and you can't go outside or enjoy shit, it's like put, put this on. Remember remember what it was like when you know we still had like music festivals and you were driving with your windows down with your friends to a uh, you know to like a fest somewhere. Like remember those days with it, but uh you know, just, just, they really, they really did a great job on this one. Like they really did best, the best stuff they've put out in a long time. And, uh, just a great pop punk record. You know, this is one of those bands where, you know, they, they've experimented throughout the years and you have, you have, you have albums like coming home. And, uh, obviously sometimes they do things that are a little more, you know, there's been albums where they put more hardcore into to it than they do other records, you know, ones that are more straight up pop punk. You have like radio surgery, which is like pop punk, but also like kind of pop rock. And I would even, I would even dare say a little Ramones core in there. Not, not a straight up Ramones, Ramones core band, but, uh, you definitely hear some of that Ramones influence in there. And, uh, you know, I mean, and I like when they go do different things, but it's like also when they just put out one of those albums where it's like, we're just a fast pop punk band who, who like also likes hardcore, like that's just when they're their best. And that's what they did on this one. They just went in and, uh, did what you expect out of newfound glory, you know, not nothing here that gets you left field. This is newfound glory. Like this is a newfound glory record and it's goddamn good. And I'm so happy I can say that because once again, it, it's tough love just you know i don't like the last few records just like i don't like the last few blink 22 records but these are bands that i put up as some of my favorites of all time 
and uh, some of their albums are my all-time favorites. So it's like, you know, it, it's like it's shit-talking with love. <laughs> that That's exactly what it is because I want to like their albums. Like, trust me, I would love if I loved everything that Blink-182 was doing with Matt Skiba and John Feldman. I wish I loved it. I wish I went, God damn, this is better than it was with Tom DeLonge. Like, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if all of a sudden it was like, oh, this band, like we all thought like it was going to fall apart, but this band is even better now. Like I wish it was like that, but you know, it's not, a, it, it, it's not always like that. In this case, it's not, but uh, you know, with newfound glory, they, they turn shit around and I, uh, I love it. I I'm excited for uh, the future for them. And I'm excited to go see them live again too. It's like, I, I want to hear these songs live. You know, that's another sign of a good record where you're like, I actually want to hear new stuff live. You know, it's like, I don't want to just hear old stuff. It's like, let, let me hear this, this uh, stuff. But uh, some of the best songs on it to go check out stay a while. That is a just classic pop punk song. Himalaya. That one might have like some of the most energy on the record. That might be the most energetic song. And uh, Chad, Chad really too. And I got to give him that really, really good guitar player with some really great riffs. Like you, you start looking back throughout the years and uh, he's written some really, really good riffs. He's actually a very underrated guitar player, I would say. Uh, like I Never Existed is another really good one. And, uh, yeah, those three there. I mean, the whole record's really good, I got to say. And, actually, the closer on it, um, Slipping Away, is probably my favorite song on it. But uh, I feel like that one fits better in context because it's actually kind of a – I don't know if I want to say ballad, but it's kind of ballady for Newfound Glory. And it's kind of more of a – kind of saddish ending but it's like it's really good and as far as like mature like the mature side newfound glory is is really good it kind of catches you at the end like it's a great album closer one of their best album closers if i'm being honest in my opinion but uh yeah i think it works really well in the context of the record but uh i wanted to like show you the faster side of the more the more energetic side so i would definitely say those three songs but check out the whole damn thing really really good and like I mentioned earlier, you know, just a few episodes back, if you haven't heard it yet, go check it out. He was in studio here. I'm looking I'm looking right now at the seat he was sitting in about three weeks ago. But uh, I did talk to uh, Joey Cobra, local musician here in Jamestown, and uh, he put out his new EP, Fever Dream. And uh, funny enough, he just put out another one. I, I, I am sorry. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. He literally put it out like a day ago. Uh, since me recording this, he put it out about, I don't know, maybe a day or two, maybe, maybe a few since, uh, since this podcast came out, but, uh, that is also on his band camp, but fever dream, just so good. I mean, it, it goes back to basically with the last two a newfound glory and Scott sellers and, uh, something that I'm just a fool for. And a reason why all three of these are on here is I just love, a, I just love a good pop punk record. Like at the end of the day, all the music that I love, I, pop punk's my favorite genre. Like, I mean, most of my favorite bands fall in that. You know what I mean? Like, like I can I can go forever and tell you my love of the Replacements and Arches of Loaf and Super Chunk, and uh, you know just all the college rock and indie rock and alternative, and I love all that stuff too. But uh, you know, I I would say I grew up on pop punk. I still listen to tons and tons of it, and uh, you know. I'm also, though, with that, I'm also now a 27-year-old, you know, curmudgeon. And uh, anything that just comes out that uh, is pop punk does not mean it's good. And I don't love everything that comes out that's pop punk. So when uh, bands put out stuff in that genre that I just think is just really, really good, like, I want to highlight it. And uh, including in this area, it was, it was a big thing me and Joey talked about 
We really don't have punk or pop punk bands in the Jamestown area. So to have someone here, um, you know, doing something that I love and doing something that I play on the show, you know, being able to highlight that here is a uh, absolute treat. I mean, you he wears his influences on his sleeve. I mean, you listen to this and you'll be like, oh, yeah, like this guy listens to no effects in leg wagon and you're like early blink 182 and uh you know i mean just just any of them any of the greats any of the great punk rock bands joey listens to and uh you hear in his music and i think he did a great job with this this is another one where i uh just great too just he did this himself as a uh solo effort but it was just him he recorded everything on an ipad and uh he did it he programmed the drums and uh, I give him credit. This is this is like what I was talking about earlier with like the uh, self-producing and when I think it works. Like I think it worked for Joey because like he'll tell you, it's like this was kind of a thing for quarantine. It kind of came up last minute, and it's awesome he could do that himself. And uh, you know he'd been he'd been practicing a little bit, I guess, recording with the iPad and stuff. And uh, I think it sounds great, including being recorded on that. I mean, it's a testament to what you can do with very little now. But uh, he ended up on an iPad, wrote like some of the best skate punk that you're going to hear all year and uh, some of the best you've probably heard in a while. And, and I love it about that. That's what I love. It, it's unabashedly, it's not trying to be anything else. This, you know, fever dream, this EP is, uh, is not trying to be anything else. It's like, I mean, and it's everything we talked about in the interview. It's just like, lo- he loves punk rock and, uh, you know, and, and loves, you know, was heavily influenced back in the day by like all those fad and epitaph bands in the nineties. And uh, what he's putting out now is amazing. And uh, he doesn't do any more, but his old band, Wake, is also worth checking out. You know, they're they're kind of in the same vein as this. So it's one of those things where it's like if you like what he does as Joey Cobra, you're probably going to like what he did as Wake. And, uh, yeah, just really, really good. I mean, if you listen to that episode, I won't, I won't go too too long on this one because, yeah, I mean, if you heard that episode or if you haven't, go back and check it out. You know, we, we talk we talk ad nauseum about the record and uh, Joey's influences and our, our love for comps and punk and uh, all that good stuff, but uh, well worth checking out. His band camp, go check it out on there. Like I said, he has a new, he put out another EP since then that uh, only came out like a day ago, so I've not gotten to hear it yet, but uh, I'm sure it's great, so go go grab that as well. But uh, the songs to check out on this one are The Cost and Beating the System. Those, uh, I feel like those will give you a really good taste of uh, what Joey is all about. Another really good one and uh, a favorite of mine this year, Jeff Rosenstock with a surprise release. And uh, he's very good at that. He did it with uh, with his last record, too, on New Year's Day 2018. He beat everyone to new music um, that year. But uh, his new album, No Dream, that one got a surprise release on Polyvinyl Records back in May. And uh, it is, it's my favorite thing that he's put out in a while. I've, I've liked the last few records, but uh, We Cool is my favorite of his uh, solo stuff. And uh, I think this is probably my favorite since then. There's, it, it, It's just really a fun album. There's there's that Jeff Rosenstock quirkiness on it. The, there's some like, you know, there's lo-fi parts. and uh, But even lo-fi parts, I got to say, production's really good on it. There's some songs that I really like the production on it, including like the drums. Drums, which sometimes on records can just sound like shit. They uh, did really well on here. And uh, really good sounding record, but uh, there there are parts of it where I'm like, you hear you hear. I mean, the quirkiness of Jeff. You hear parts that I would that I would definitely say kind of remind me back to like the bomb the music industry days, and uh, just he does that so well. Where like he he's writing and singing these songs about all the terrible things going on in this world, and uh, very very relevant to I mean really this year. I mean perfect 
perfect for this year, even though I don't think that he wrote it. It kind of got a surprise release, but I don't think it was like recorded or the songs were written really for what's going on. It just kind of got released during this time. But I mean, just extremely prevalent as he is, though. I mean, he he really, including his uh, last few solo ones, I would say has uh, definitely gotten more political and, uh, you know, just just social issues and different things like that. And he just does it so well, I think, on the record. He's very clever with how he does it, how he says things. And uh, I mean, outside of that, too, just introspective, like there's things he writes that are just including on this record that I just think uh, and w- one of my favorites on it, a, a song called Nike's like you look at the you look at the lyrics and like they're very self critiquing like he's being very hard on himself um, you know but it's like it's very it's very real it's very raw it's very honest like I love that about it I absolutely love it and uh, you know I, I've, I've liked all his solo efforts but this is the best one I would say since we cool I mean some best one in five years I would say. And uh, really, honestly, too, like if you're if you're not that familiar with Jeff, which I feel like if you listen to the show, you probably are like, I feel like he's pretty damn big in the scene. He's one of those guys where it's like mainstream. People may not know who he is, but if you listen to like punk and alternative or like college radio or anything like that, you probably know who Jeff Rosenstock is. But uh, if for whatever reason you don't, I actually think this is a great uh, like entry level record into his. I I think it's one of uh, one of his best records he's probably put out too, like ever. And I like Bomb the Music Industry, but I've never it's funny because Bomb the Music Industry, like I like I like that band, but I can go through and I'll like listen to songs. I don't listen to like full albums. I'll listen to songs. Whereas with uh his solo stuff, I like it more and I feel like it's something I can listen to a whole record of. You know, sometimes sometimes uh Bomb would just go places where like it's not that I minded it, it's just something that I'm like, I don't know that I want to hear 12, you know, 12 tracks of this per se. And I think you know what I mean. Sometimes there's things you listen to where you're like, okay, like two or three songs like this or they're experimental or something I can listen to. But if you're going to give me 15 tracks of this, you know what I mean? Um, it, it's kind of like that for me. But that, that's why I think this is a nice like mix of uh, some of the best parts of Bomb. Really like the quirkiness of that band and some of the, you know, some of just Jeff's sense of humor uh, and just really, really good. And his his band that he has with him, Death Rose and Stock, they always do a great job. But uh, yeah, this one came out on Polyvinyl. You know, as always, as as with Jeff's mantra, which I give him huge credit. I mean, he he is not he has not abandoned it yet since the beginning of his career. Everything he releases gets a pay what you want on a quote unquote records his uh, his record label website. So you can get it there, pay what you want. You can also get it on Polyvinyl Records. Might be on Bandcamp. Uh, you know, all, all those different places, but I really do give him credit for doing the pay what you want or pay what you can, you know, the whole donation based things. That's the thing that gets people into it. Cause once again, like I said, if you don't know Jeff Rosenstock and you're new to him, you can go grab this for free if you want. And it's like, and if you like what you hear, they go back and you start, you know, supporting him and stuff. But I mean, what a great entry level. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm telling you, like, what do you have to lose to go check out a no dream? It's, it's free. Go get the damn thing for free. And uh, try it out, you know, if you like to go grab vinyl or something. But uh, I love it. No Dream, one of the best of the year. I think one of his best solo records. And uh, one of the best things he's just been part of. My favorite thing he's been part of, though, is Antarctica Vespucci. That is that is my favorite Jeff Rosenstock thing, as well as Chris Farron thing. Um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of fake problems, but I, I think that might even take the cake. Antarctica, I, I think I like even more. Um, just a great band, and not that they've broken up or anything like that. They just do things kind of sporadically, 
and uh, they're just great. They're they're so good. I got to see them. What I think was their only full tour. They've I know they've played like fest and stuff, but I think they only did one U.S. tour back in 2014. And uh, I, I saw them on that. If it wasn't their only, it has to be one of their only ones. And uh, was had to definitely be the only time they ever played uh, in Cleveland. They played at the Grog Shop. Which shout out to them. And uh, I don't. I, I I'm gonna have to look for the link. I'll find it and put it in the show notes. But, uh, you know, it's another thing right now. You know, you see all these venues talking about how they're on the brink of closing. And Grog Shop's one that I've uh, seen mentioned quite a bit. And uh, I do love, though, at the same time on social media, seeing so many of my favorite artists uh, putting putting out tweets and stuff about uh, the Save Our Stages for the Grog Shop and a bunch of other places, too. Um, but, but, like, specifically putting things out, like, we don't want to see the Grog Shop close. Like, here's how you can support it. Here's how you can help it. And, yeah, that would definitely be a very sad venue to lose, a really, really good one. And, uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully that one does not go away. I'll find the link for that, too, and put that in the show notes. You can uh, you can go sign the uh, thing for the letter to your Congress and uh, wherever that wherever else that might go for, uh, I believe it's for Save, Save Our Stages. I don't know. I'm probably butchering the name. I don't have it in front of me, and then I'm, like, second-guessing myself, so I'm probably fucking that name up. But uh, just look at the show notes. The real link will be there. Whatever bullshit's coming out of my mouth right now, I don't remember the name of it. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I would hate to see Grog Shop go away and a lot of other great, uh, you know, dive bars and just little venues and stuff. I was saying this before. That's the scary thing is, uh, you know, the venues, obviously all venues are taking a hit right now. But if you're the Enron Arena, <laughs> I really hope there's an Enron Arena still. That'd be hilarious. I'm going to buy an arena just to open up Enron Arena. And then across the street, I'm going to open up another one. It'll, it'll be Circuit City Arena. And uh, and then another one, and that'll be Game Crazy slash Hollywood Video Arena. And uh, and it'll just continue down, down the line from there. But uh, anyway, you know, like that's the thing, like, arenas and like houses of you know like house of blues and like bigger you know like the fillmores and things like that and live nation owned um venues you know those will be able to survive obviously they're taking a financial hit right now not being able to be open but they, they will they will reopen like rest assured those probably aren't going anywhere i really don't see that happening the ones that are gonna take a hit and close down are the venues that you go see most of the bands that I play on this show and talk about and interview as well. You know, most of these people who I have on the show aren't playing arenas and stuff like that. They are playing the grog shop or, you know, I mean, no matter where you're at, insert your favorite dive bar or, you know, small punk club, you know, wherever you live, insert there and, you know, just be a damn shame to uh, lose them. So, yeah. And, you know, also, also hit me up. I mean, cause I want to spread the word on that stuff. If you, I mean, even venues from where locally, wherever you're from, you know, if, if there's like donation things or there's like something to spread the word to like help support them, hit me up, powercordhourgmail.com. And, uh, you know, like on a future episode here, I'll uh, get on here and kind of, you know, help spread the word to like, you know, hey, go here and sign this or, you know, this thing is for sale and help support this venue. Cause, yeah, you know, it, it would. It would blow to come out of this. People are like, we miss live music. And it's like, it, it will really suck when you get out of this. And there's nowhere to see half those bands. You know, if you're if you're a huge band, there'll be venues to go play. 
But, you know, if you were playing a 400 cap place somewhere and all those closed down, you know, you, where are you going to play? Which also I talked about a few episodes ago is why I think house shows are going to become huge as well as just unconventional venues as well. Just weird ass places to see a show like the weirdest place you can imagine. You, you might see a show there just unconventional places because there aren't places to play. And uh, I think those are going to become even more prevalent. I think we're going to see a lot more house shows and stuff. Obviously not right now. I don't know how many people are uh, dying to get in someone's crowded basement at the moment. But uh, I just mean in a post-COVID world, um, you know, if uh, God forbid, though everyone talks about it, you know, if, if all these small venues close down, I see that being the future, you know, at, at least until we get something in the wake of, you know, all the ones that closed down. But yeah, going on, moving moving on to a more of a positive note, speaking of more good music this year, um, Wildlife, really good band. Another one who I'd never heard of up until the release of this one. I know they have a couple things before this, but their new album, Year of the Snake, this came out back in April, and uh, just some good rock and roll. I mean, just one of those bands who really like, they're, they're really, they're, there's like, there's there's some replacements in there. There's just some straight-up rock bands like, you know, your Rolling Stones, your David Bowie. You got some Johnny Thunders in there. Um, I would say some Exploding Hearts. You know, there's some punk in there. There's some songs, too, where I just go are really nice, like, almost poppy. You know, not straight-up pop pop songs, but, like, poppy, catchy songs. Like, they can write a hook and just a really, really good rock band. And their videos are goddamn hilarious. Go on YouTube. Go find Wildlife. And they're spelled... W-Y-L-D-L-I-F-E And uh, they they have some hilarious music videos they, uh, They're up there Them and, uh, and another band who actually released some new music this year is really good The Chats, a uh, band from Australia They're another one who as far, you know, music videos You're not seeing them as much now You know, people people put out lyric videos and stuff more than anything, or you get like the live montage and stuff. There's just not money. I mean, really ever since money got out of, out of music and bands aren't on like major labels anymore, you're really not seeing music videos. There's just not budgets for them. But uh, you know, there's a few people out there still making really good ones in the wild wildlife and the chats are, uh, I would, I would say up there is like probably, probably some of the best music videos of this year, but they also have some funny ones from before that both the, both of them are very creative with uh, probably little budgets and uh, very cool to see. But uh, Year of the Snake, great release. Go check that out. The uh, songs off that, Automatic, which I got to say, this song, it's funny. This song really doesn't sound like the rest of the record. This song is probably like the most poppy, quote unquote, poppy song on the record. But I think it should be huge. Like I hear it like the chorus to me is massive and I could hear it on radio, like commercial radio, like Top 40 radio, rock radio, alternative radio, college radio. Like, it's just one of those songs that I think kind of like an REM, you know, kind of in that way. A huge compliment I, I got to give Wildlife. Not that they sound like REM, but that that crossover. We have a band like REM who kind of pleased all those audiences I just talked about. It's like, you know, they were they were played on college radio and they were also they're also a band that you hear on top 40 radio. to this day. I would say you probably still hear like IRS era REM on a college radio. And then, you know, you hear the huge shit on, you know, top 40 radio. You hear it on every kind of station, basically, like any station I've worked for before, no matter what, like format or genre, 
there's probably an REM song in there. And uh, Automatic for Wildlife is uh, one of those songs I think could just be like, any, anyone listens to that I think would love it. And uh, Deathbed, great opener for the album, like really just sets the mood for the record. I love it. And Kiss and Tell, which uh, speaking of their music videos, there's a music video for that one, and it's hilarious. Go check it out. But, uh, yeah, go check out Wildlife. You're of the snake. You'll not regret it. One of my favorite records of this year. I mean, this one probably is my favorite unless something else comes out and knocks it over. I don't think I've listened to another record more this year. But uh, The Strokes, The New Abnormal, this one came out back in April. And this one is kind of like Newfound Glory was for me. Like, I I was not expecting a lot. Like, I'm just being honest. And uh, I really, I was never a big Strokes fan. The last few years, I, uh, I've turned around. I really like Is This It and uh, Room on Fire. I've kind of, I've gotten more into the the uh, other records more. But I'm I'm kind of like a lot of other people where first two records Really good front to back, flawless. I I listen to them constantly front to back. After that, I start picking and choosing. Like half of First Impressions of Earth, I really like. Um, There's a couple songs on Angles that I like, probably like three or four. Um, Come Down Machine, there's a few on there that I like. But uh, The New Abnormal goes right back to the first two records. I listen to this damn thing front to back like every time. Like every time I put it on. There's never, like, I just don't skip anything. There's nothing to skip. It's it's all good. And, uh, you know, that's just one of those things you can't say for every record. And, uh, I mean, not only, I, w- I was going to listen to it. Like, I knew it was coming out. Obviously, I was going to listen to it. Um, but I wasn't expecting a lot. I just wasn't. I was like, yeah, you know, okay. And then uh, At the Door came out. That was the first single. And I really, I wasn't sold on it. It was It was all right. But I didn't, it was like, you know, it really wasn't like that classic stroke sound. You know, it was very synth heavy, um, you know, kind of slow tempo. And uh, and I don't I don't hate the song. I also don't think it's the uh, strongest track on the record, though. And, uh, you know, so, so after hearing that, I was like, all right, well, I'll check the rest out, but I'm not sure. And uh, no, I was I was totally wrong. They they came out with what ended up being it's it's my favorite record of the year by far. And uh, just absolutely killing it. And even off, I, I'll say this too, even off first listen, I wasn't entirely sold. I liked it enough. And there are a couple songs that stood out where I'm like, all right, these are really good. But uh, it was just one of those records. And quite honestly, most of my favorite records this way, I liked it just enough at first. And, uh, and normally it starts that way where it's like I'm almost indifferent. Like if I fucking hate it the first time, I'm probably not ever going to like it. Like I don't know that I turn around so much where I'm like this album's bullshit. And then the second time I listen, I'm like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. But normally what will happen is I might be indifferent of a, of a record or like I like one or two songs kind of stick out. And then I listen more and then I come around to it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like it just took me time to kind of warm up to. And uh, this is one of those records for me. But uh, since, since doing so, though, I mean, truthfully, it's it's so good front to back. It's nine songs, and all nine songs are just really, really good. There are songs on there that uh, that kind of have that old school Strokes sound, and there's other songs where like they do stuff I've never really heard them do before, and uh, they do it really, really well. I mean, there's there, there's stuff on here where you're like, wow, like that's. Uh, and, it, and it's not too, I mean, the thing with the Strokes, I mean, I feel like they experiment a decent amount. I, I don't feel like they're ever a band where you're too surprised when they do something different, you know, it, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, I think they're a band you normally kind of assume are going to kind of do something 
different on uh, each record. And uh, the things that they did on here, I, I think, really ended up working out really well. And the other thing, too, working with Rick Rubin, he uh, he got something out of them. I mean, once again, talking about production, and uh, I don't think that the Strokes ever self-produced a record. Not that I'm aware of. I, I don't think that they uh, have. But just having the right producer, and that's what Rick Rubin was. Like You can obviously tell, like, like the last few records have okay songs on them, but it's just not that band who's firing all cylinders. And Rick Rubin got that shit out of him. I don't know how he did it, but uh, he got it out of them. I mean, he and it's a great sounding record too. It, it's a you know sonically, he did a great job on it. I mean, obviously he's a he's a legend. You know, it, it's not like I need to tell you that Rick Rubin knows how to produce a record, but uh, you know, I am telling you, he did a very good job on this one, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, unless something comes up and uh, dethrones this, I would probably I would I would say this is my this is my favorite record. I mean, I, I have my top three, but this is number one. This this sits at number one. So go check out the Strokes' the new Abnormal if you haven't yet. And uh, I would say the ones to check out not the same anymore. That one kind of has an old school Strokes vibe too. When it breaks in, I go, oh, like that's like. It's it's the parts of the strokes that that remind you why you liked them in the first place. Bad decisions. I mean that that was their uh, second single. You you've probably heard that one. It's the one that sounds like dancing with myself and uh, melt with you, but it's really really good. And uh, ode to the Mets, which they just put out a music video for. That is a really solid one. A really good uh, album closer as well. Let's go check them out. Another great record that came out this year. I got a couple more for you. Ultimate Fake Book, The Preserving Machine. This one came out back in April. And Ultimate Fake Book, like I loved this. Like I knew who they were and uh, that was the whole reason I checked it out actually. Was uh, I was looking at some radio promo. Shout out to Pirate, a, a very a very great radio promo site. Very very good people who I got to say too. I mean there's there's bands that I've shared on the show or on this here podcast that I discovered through them. So, you know, shout out to them. There's a lot of bands who maybe you discovered through me who I wouldn't have discovered without them. And uh, they have a great team over there. They're uh, they're always very rad. But uh, anyways, I was on there and I saw the name. And I'm like, oh, I know Ultimate Fake Book. Like, I know of them. I also know they're up my alley. It's a band that I've just never, like, listened to. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those bands where it's like I never had checked them out. I probably had heard a song or two. But I never went and checked out, but I knew that they were, like, in the scene, you know, like, bands that I like. Like, I knew that they fit with my taste. So I'm like, all right, I'll check this out. And, uh, you know, I really wasn't sure what to expect. I also didn't think that they put anything out in a while, and I was right about that. I was like, I didn't really think they were a band. Actually, I didn't know they were a band at that point. So I was like, oh, wow, like, they got a new record out and stuff. Like, all right, I'll give this a listen. And, uh, I mean, talking about just blowing me away, like the highest compliment I got to give it is exactly that, that a band that has been together now for 20 something years, I don't know what year they started, but like mid nineties, I would say, and, uh, mid to late nineties. I mean, it, at, at bare minimum, that band has been around for 20 plus years. I, I will say that. And, uh, you know, for being a band who's been around now for that many decades, this is my first taste of them. And it made me a fan. Like, that's a good sign. You know what I mean? Like, because you can write an album this far in and you may be appeasing fans. It may be a thing where people who, you know, liked you 15 years ago like this record because it reminds them of like that or something. You know, there, there's a lot of bands who have had that. You know, that's what I'm talking about with the reunion record. That can sometimes like backfire and reunion records can fucking suck. 
And then other times it can be great. And that's what that's what uh, the preserving machine is. I mean, they they went in and for someone like me with no preconceived notions, I didn't I didn't really you know, I knew they were a band who I was probably going to like and that it would probably be music that I liked. Like I knew that much. Like I'm like, all right, this isn't going to be something totally out of my wheelhouse. But still no preconceived notions. I didn't I didn't know really what to expect. And they just blew me away. I mean, the energy, very high energy on this record. Um, I know Motion City Soundtrack were promoting it on their social media when it came out and uh, saying some very nice things about them. And I totally get it. Like, you speaking of that, like, listening to them now, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I totally hear this. I'm like, this is like, this is like early Motion City Soundtrack. Kind of like that. Like, this, like, it's power pop. It's pop punk. I mean, they name drop super drag on their records. So you also know that that's how they got me too. Like on on, uh, on track two there, they uh, they name drop super drag. And the second they did that, I'm like, all right, this record this record is just like already like I was smile on my face. I'm like, the first two songs are already good, but you're gonna you're gonna name drop that. It's like, all right, I'm a fan. Like you like you have me. Like I'm on board. Like I I don't I don't need much else convincing. Like. This is good, and uh, it really is. I mean, and and since then too, I went back and listened to uh, some of their older stuff there, and I mean, I think older fans will be pleased with it. Like, I, I think they came back and did something really solid, but it stands on its own. You know, it's not something that you have to be a fan of the band already to like. Like, if you're if you don't know Ultimate Fake Book, go check this out, and you'll probably like it. And if you're a fan of Ultimate Fake Book, go check it out because I definitely think you're gonna like it. You know, knowing now what the uh, you know what their sound is, kind of the signature sound and whatnot of them, they killed it on this. They absolutely did what they do best, and uh, it's just really, really good. Just very high energy. I also like it. There's kind of a uh, a kind of like kind of a nostalgic vibe lyrically on it. There's a lot of like singing about like kind of the good old days, but not in like a not in like a sad like drink and talk about the glory days not like that at all but just there there's certain songs on there like one of the best ones one of the ones you want to go check out like after hours at malines that's the one that a uh, names drop name drop super drag but it just kind of seems like it's a it's a love letter to those like you know hanging out with your friends late at night you know after shows or in college or whenever you know what i mean kind of those timeless things there's just like, you listen to that and it's like it just makes you think of your own like you know, the times of hanging out after shows with friends till 5 a.m., you know, or doing stupid shit or whatever. Like, you know, just kind of that stuff. Like, you get that you get that vibe on the record um, quite a bit, kind of like they, the looking back on your life kind of. And, and the good things, too, it's the other thing, it's like a positive thing, not like a where'd the time go, like we're, uh, you know, like not, not like that, but more like, a, oh, yeah, like we've had some good fucking times. More like a fun thing, like, We've had good times and we're going to keep having good times. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, kind of a not like it's an album that's just oozing with positivity, not like it's like a self-help record or anything like that. You know, I don't want to paint it in the wrong picture, but you do listen to it. And it's like I also just think the energy of it, the the high kind of high like voltage energy of the of the you know music and really what they're doing is a trio, too. I mean, that was the other thing is I couldn't believe they're a trio. I didn't realize that. I assumed they had at least two guitar players and they don't. Um, their uh, their front man, Bill McShane, there is the only guitar player. And he it is impressive what three people are uh, doing on there. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, like everything about it is just kind of it puts you in a good mood. It, I, I would put it there like with with newfound glory, like you put on that newfound glory record and it's just it's it puts you in a good mood. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's kind of nice, sunny day music. You know, like this is another good like I'd say the preserving machine is definitely a good summertime record. And uh, and we should, you know, actually it may even be next week, if not next week, sometime soon. But Bill McShane is going to be coming on the show. And uh, I've been meaning to have him on. I mean, this this record came out back in April. And uh, I've been wanting to have him on since it came out. I Actually, I remember the funny thing is, though, I uh, I had other guests as well, you know, just booked up. So, you know, it, it, it took a while. I, I was going to I was going to go get a hold of them. And like right a couple weeks into after that record came out. <clears throat> and sorry, I'm like losing my voice here. Uh, on air for you as you as you can hear it as you can hear it puttering out let me get some water here sorry about that but and i won't cut that shit out this is uh this is real and raw man but uh anyway you know we we should uh we should have bill on here very soon talk about the record and yeah i was, I was gonna hit him up back when this came out and like a couple weeks after it came out i uh i got in a little accident with my vehicle then I have a car, so I was going through shit with that, trying to get that uh, figured out and just doing different things. Life got in the way is what I'm saying. And, uh, you know, booking booking an interview was kind of the last on my uh, on my list. So it kind of got on the back burner. And, uh, you know, thankfully, I have I have undone my uh, kind of forgetfulness. I'm like, oh, yeah, like I forgot. Like I got to have him on. I'm listening to that record one day going, yeah, I love this. Like, why have I not hit Bill up yet? And uh, very, very nice guy. Very cool. I've uh, been messaging him on Facebook. Very, very cool dude. And uh, should be on here. If it's not next week, it will be very, very soon. And I'm excited for that because Ultimate Fake Book, The Preserving Machine, one of my favorites this year. Go check out Manhattan, Kansas. Probably my favorite Probably my favorite song on the record. Just the energy of it is just, I mean, probably the highest energy on the record. I, I love that song. After Hours at Moline's. It's a great song. There's a great music video they put out for it. It's hilarious. And, uh, I mean, they name drop Super Drag in it, so you know it's good. And uh, we're sharing the same dream tonight, another solid one. The whole record's great, though. And uh, another one, last but not least on my list. I mean, there's so many other good releases, but uh, <clears throat> just looking at my list here, my uh, last one, and one of my favorites. This is, uh, you know, talking about my top three records of 2020 so far, obviously, and I'm very excited that we still have here, like, six more months of uh, music to be put out but uh the bomb pops with death in venice beach this one is in my top three i mean my top three favorites of this year the suicide machines revolution spring the strokes the new abnormal and the bomb pops death in venice beach this one is just so good the bomb pops the last few years i mean it's funny because i still think of them as like a really really new band like i and i really do yet they've been together since like like 2009 or 2010, I think they they started. So I mean, they've been a band for over a decade at this point. But uh, I feel like they really they kind of they kind of became not that they weren't a serious band prior to it, but I just feel like in 2017 when they put Fear of Missing Out on uh, Fat Records, it uh it really was just the start of something for them. Like it was really them finding their voice as a band, finding their sound. Um, they put out a few releases before that, uh, just EPs, I believe, no full lengths. But uh, they put out a few EPs on Red Scare Industries, and they're not bad at all. But uh, I, I feel like the last few records have been them finding their own sound. Like being a great, you know, just kind of pop punk band. 
but but doing you know finding the parts of them that make them unique and make them the bomb pops you know not just a you know a, a band that sounds like another fat records band you know like something like that it, they, they've really found it and fear of missing out was really good then they put out the dear beer ep in uh, 2018 and that blew me away even more like i was like i already liked fear of missing out <clears throat> but once i heard once i heard uh Dear Beer, I was like, this is this is a good sign of things to come. It's one of those EPs. I like when bands bands will sometimes put out an EP in between albums where you're just it makes you even more excited for the following record because it's like if this is what they're doing in like two or three songs, like I cannot wait. I cannot wait at all. Like there there's there's been some where where you get those. The movie life is one of those. Like movie life has a gambling problem is uh, one of those for me where it's like I listen to that and I'm just like what a great like what a great one to have in between it's kind of like if you liked what we did on this last one here's a taste of what's to come you know kind of thing and and even though actually it's funny because then they kind of changed it up on 40 hour train I wouldn't say that it straight up sounds like that but it's just another one where it's like that EP foreshadowed you know, the good things to come out of the movie life, you know, what they're releasing next. Kind of like a taste of like, hey, we're on to something else. Like we're not just going to put out, you know, uh, this time next year, part two. Same with the Bomb Pops. Like when I heard Dear Beer, I'm like, oh, they're not just going to put out Fear of Missing Out part two when they put something else out. And they didn't. They went in and pushed themselves and just really, I mean, have put themselves to the forefront as the best new, like as, as far as like the new school of Fat Records bands, of you know whatever you really want to consider i'd say of the last decade like of the 2010s i mean they've put themselves up there as one of the best ones like hands down like really a band that uh when i think of fat records you know i i think of them you know when i think of like the modern bands and stuff you know, obviously you have like your no effects and leg wagons and uh you know like strung outs just bands that have been on there since the very beginning but like if i'm thinking of new bands the ones i associate bomb pop is the first one that goes in my head and, uh, you know, they just they, they outdid themselves with Death in Venice Beach. And it's just no nonsense like pop punk. It's, you know, a lot of times it is nice, fun, simple three chord pop punk. And, uh, you know, there there's a nice mix in there. What I like, too, is they've always been good at writing like summertime jams like, you know, on, on all their releases. They're full of them. There's full the full of songs that, you know, you want to listen to. With the windows down, you know, just driving on a, on a sunny day. I remember uh, actually when Dear Beer came out, and the title track, I guess, is kind of a it's kind of a, a sadder one. That's not as much as like driving around with with the uh, you know windows down. There's a few songs on there. I remember when it came out, I uh, was was at a cousin's wedding in Maui, so we we flew over to Maui with some family, and uh, just listening to that in the uh, rental car that that we had. I, I remember one night I had the car to myself. It was just cruising around Maui. And like that was just perfect for it. That 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 uh, EP just like the bomb pops just have songs that are like, it's fucking nice out. It's you know July. I have the windows down, my arm out the window. I got you know like this is the music that was made for days like that. You know very much like West Coast. Like you can tell they're a West Coast band because they sound like it. You know what I mean? They sound like they come from sunny like Southern California. But the other thing I like too is there's other songs on here, just like their other releases, like I said, like with Dear Beer, where it's like, you know, that song, that song's kind of a downer as well, you know, not in a bad way, but it's like obviously you listen, including like the chorus of it, it's like they're not the most uh uplifting lyrics. But that's what I like about them is they have both. You know, there's the songs 
that you want to listen to with your window down, you know, or you're driving on a sunny day. So as long as you want to listen to while you're pissed off, you know, alone somewhere, you know, in your headphones, out for a walk or something, you know, in your room at night or, you know, whatever it is, you know, there's there's kind of range on there. And uh, I like it. You know, there's there's definitely a few songs on uh, this new one, too, kind of more like punk rock jams and like minor so they kind of sound like they kind of do like more like a bad religion style. And I love it. I mean, I, I love this record. It's a fun one. I think it's the best thing they've put out yet. It's uh, it's just very strong. It's a very strong release. And uh, it's one of those things where it's like I love bands like this because Fat Records is, re- is really one of the few labels left where I just trust them when they put something out. And uh, that was kind of like the case of the Bomb Pops a few years ago. I mean, I just kind of checked them out because they were on Fat Records. And I'm like, well, it's probably good. And then I checked it out. I'm like, oh, yeah, they never they never steer me wrong. Like Fat Records, like there's a reason they, you know, Fat Mike signed them. And it's like he he knows he knows good punk rock and pop punk. And, uh, you know, that's what you get with the Bomb Pops. It's no nonsense. And it's just really, really good. And uh, like I said, in my top three favorite records released of the year so far, but uh, best songs on it to go check out would be uh, Radio Silence, Notre Dame. That that uh, You've probably heard that one. There's a music video for it and uh, was the first single off of there. And uh, one of the best songs on it, ab- absolutely. They kind of, they don't, I don't want to say it in the sense that it, that it sounds like them ripping off Alkaline Trio, but it has that darkness to it. They're like lyrically and musically, there is an Alkaline Trio vibe that I really like. They do it in a way where it's the Bomb Pops doing Alkaline Trio, not just a band ripping them off, you know, if, if that makes sense. And uh, also 13 Stories Down. I mean, just just so great. I, I, I love this band. If you've never checked them out, you got to check them out. They uh, A lot of it, too, like reminds me, I, I would definitely say, including like on Dear Beer, if you want to go back and check out that EP, too, like that EP reminds me of like Take Off Your Pants and Jacket era Blink-182. I'm kind of like, it's it's like that, which, is, you know, that I love that record. So, I mean, once again, I mean that in like the highest compliment possible. But, uh, you know, yeah, I absolutely love that. I love the Bomb Pops and uh, Fat Records. I mean, just they, 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 they knocked it out of the park when they signed them a few years ago. I'm, uh, I'm definitely excited to see where they go next. Because that's the thing, even though they've been around for like 10 years, it's really like the last three or four that I feel like they've kind of seriously came into their own. So, you know, I think we're really just seeing the beginning of uh, what the Bomb Pops are capable of. But, uh, yeah, you know, like I said, I mean, that's that's just a, a condensed list. There's been a shit ton of releases this year. I mean, I didn't really get into singles or uh, live albums, acoustic albums, like all that stuff. But uh, I mean, I kind of threw Archers of Loaf on here, but you have to because that's Archers of Loaf. You know, and uh, hopefully we get a full length sometime from them. Maybe they'll surprise us. Maybe they'll just be like, fuck it, quarantine. We didn't have time to do anything else, so we just went in and recorded this record. Here you go. Because at this point, I think it'd be pretty good. If it's anything like the uh, singles they've released, I think we would get a damn good uh, Arches of Loaf record in 2020. They're not a band that I fear. That's not a band that I'm afraid of releasing a stinkeroo. I don't think it'll happen. I think if they put out a record, it would be a good one. But, uh, yeah, so that, that that's that's my list. Like I said, I'm going to make a playlist, a Spotify playlist with all those songs that I said to go listen to. They'll all be in one place on the Power Chord Hour Spotify. And uh, if you'd be so cool, you can follow us on there. So if you'd follow that page, I uh, put up playlists every week from the radio show as well. So you can check out everything I'm playing on the show and uh, kind of keep your ear to the ground. You know, I play a lot of old stuff. 
But I obviously played tons of new stuff too. Got to keep you in the know for all the great punk and alternative coming out. But uh, check that out. Stay connected with the show. We're at Power Chord Hour on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. And uh, right now we're doing, if you go leave the Power Chord Hour, a uh, rate and review us on uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, any of those places. Send me a screenshot, powercordhourgmail.com, as well as our social media. I mean, you can always just DM it to me there. Basically anywhere we're at. But him, hit me up with a screenshot of your review and uh, I will send you a Power Chord Hour t-shirt as well as some stickers and guitar picks. Absolutely free. I'll send you a little Power Chord Hour care package as a uh, thank you for rating the show. We, uh, you know, we're, we're still new. We're 31 episodes in, still fairly new. And, uh, you know, some reviews would help. Apparently, I believe that's how you get, like, on, on charts and shit. Like, like, really, to be honest... If it like, you know, I, I want to get the word out on the show. So it helps with that. Like if it didn't do anything like that, I, I wouldn't be uh, so pushy on it. Cause I'm always like, God damn, everyone's like raid and subscribe in this. But, uh, you know, I, I guess it's I guess it's a necessary it's a necessary thing. But uh, I'll sweeten the deal. You know what I mean? I won't, I won't just be an asshole asking you to rate his podcast. I'll be an asshole who asks you to go rate his podcast and then I'll give you something in return. You know what I mean? So, uh, so yeah, go do that if you'd be so rad. And thank you very much to the people who have. We've uh, gotten a few so far, and uh, I've sent some shirts out. Even sent one over to the UK, which uh, which was kind of cool. But uh, I will I, I will actually say though, I sent one to the UK, but I got to do this US only because uh, it is it is quite it is over twenty dollars <laughs> to ship a T-shirt. I found out to the UK. So my apologies. But uh, UK and Canada, I'm sorry, <laughs> God damn, the US and Canada only for now. I uh, I apologize to that. I, I wish shipping was cheaper other places, but uh, uh, until it's not 20 something dollars to ship you a t-shirt, I, uh, I'm going to have to keep it to where it will cost me like $4 to mail you a t-shirt. So uh, yeah, U.S. and Canada, hit me up, powercordhour@gmail.com. Send me a screenshot of uh, your your rate and review of the show. And, uh, yeah, that's going to be the show for this week. Like I said, next week we may be back with Bill McShane of Ultimate Fake Book. If not next week, should be very soon. But uh, until then, either way, I'll be, I'll be back next week with you. And, uh, as always, a radio show, too, every Friday night on 107.9 WRFA in uh, Jamestown, New York. We'll have a new one for you this weekend. And uh, But yeah, that is it. So for the Power Court Hour, I'm Anthony Merchant, and thanks for listening.